Uh, as Sarah mentioned at the beginning of our time today, we are in the midst of a four-week series we're calling CORE, uh, looking at a variety of words, key concepts that we think help define and distinguish St. Peter as a community of believers and as a ministry in this time and in this season. And um, uh, last weekend, we started out with community. This weekend, we're going to start into boldness. But before we do that, I wanted to share with you something I came across this week. Uh, this is... Um, a list of five reasons why some people don't go to church anymore. And some of you may be familiar with Barna. Uh, Barna is a research organization, do a lot of great work. Uh, this is based off of one of the reports from a few years ago from before COVID, but it was kind of just got him brought back up by an influencer online, Kerry Newhoff is his name. And uh, he's from Canada, but apparently they're facing some of the same stuff there as we are here. And he kind of distilled down this report into these five things. And I wanted to start with this today. Uh, these are five reasons that people have given as to why they aren't present and active in a church right now. The first one uh, is kind of just really unsettling, especially for me as a, a pastor of a local church. And, and here's what it says. The church is irrelevant. The leaders are hypocritical. That is, they sometimes don't do what they say they're going to do. Or, and the leaders have experienced too much moral failure. And if you're familiar at all with uh, the news in the last several years, maybe even the last few decades, you know that all too often you hear about uh, a local pastor or church leader or priest who has been found out to be covering up some kind of moral failure, and it's always catastrophic for that local church, that ministry, and for everyone who's impacted by it as well. And so the reputation of the church, broadly speaking, uh, has been challenged because of some of those situations. But, but even without that, the first part of that just really is, is frustrating for me as, as a pastor. The church is irrelevant, people are saying, right? Um, here's the second one. Um, God is missing in the church. Now, for all of us gathered here or at home, that may seem strange to you because you're like, wait a minute, we're, we're here because we believe in God or we want to learn more about God and uh, so we worship Him, and, but, but we just need to recognize that for some people, that's not the experience they've had. They've missed the presence of God somehow. Or number three, uh, legitimate doubt is prohibited. Maybe you've had this before where somebody has asked you a, a theological question or a question about the Bible and you just feel like you've been, um, uh, let's say you asked the question, let me get this straight, and then you just felt like you were shut down. You just didn't have the permission to say, well, well what about this? Or I don't really understand that. Or how does this all fit together? Um, that's one of the reasons that, that's given. And you can see the other two there. They're not learning about God, right? Uh, and they're not finding community. And, and especially if we say that community is one of our core uh, identifying aspects and features here, uh, it should be unsettling a little bit that at least for some people, the experience has been that that's not what they've found. So if, if we are here as a local church to gather around Jesus, to hear his word and then go out as his people, uh, to be on mission with him to redeem and restore the world, what are we supposed to do when we come up face to face with experiences that, that some people have had in the local church like that? Today, to try to help answer that, I want to lean into the second of our words, boldness, and explore what that means. And Sarah, we didn't talk about it, but I appreciate what you had to say. We're, we're, we're looking at it not in terms of aggression 
an attack as much as we are kind of a steadfastness with humility that's rooted and established on the words and the promises of God. And so here's how we want to tackle that. Uh, what we mean when we say boldness and being unafraid. Uh, we take courageous steps and explore new places for the kingdom because we know we are never alone. And the power of God is at work within us and through us. And so long as we remain established in God's word and alert to where Jesus is leading us, we need not fear anything. Okay, so that's what we're going to try to get across. Let's try to unpack that, starting with the Old Testament character. Maybe you know a thing or two about him. His name is Joshua. When you hear that word, Joshua, when you think about that individual in the Bible, what are some things that come to mind? Just shout a few things out. Parts of his life and story. Joshua. Jericho. That's, that's the one that always comes first, right? Joshua and the battle of Jericho. They walk around the city. Walls come down. That comes early in the book of Joshua. What else? Twelve spies, right? And he's one of the twelve spies. They go into the land of Canaan to scout it out. He's one of the two good ones, by the way. Do you remember the song? Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. Do you remember that? No? Okay. I'm, I'm not going to sing anymore. Don't worry. Um, he was one of the good ones, right? He and Caleb. What else? Anything else come to mind? Took over from Moses, right? Joshua comes right after the five books of Moses, okay? Uh, here's a few other things I found interesting as I was studying for today. Uh, the first time Joshua shows up in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 17 at verse 8 to 13, and it's in a battle scene where he is sent out by Moses to lead a fight against the Amalekites, some of the enemies, uh, or at least they were hostile to God's people. And it was the time where Moses held up his hands, and whenever his hands were raised, they would win. And whenever his hands got tired and drooped, do you remember the story? Uh, they would start to lose the battle. And so Aaron and her, two other assistants, they literally just held up his hands, like they would just hold his elbows or something, and, and that helped win the battle that day, right? Notable first impression of Joshua. He's a mighty, valiant warrior. Exodus chapter 33 tells us that, that Moses, when he would set up the tent of meeting, and that was a special tent wherever they would go that he would set up where he would go and he would meet with God and he would have conversations with God. We're told he met with him face to face, which is pretty significant for Moses. And Joshua would go and, and position himself there and he would never want to leave. That tells us a little something about his character and his faith, that he longed to be in the presence of God and also to have a conversation with him. Uh, here's one more thing that, honestly, I don't know if I ever knew before. Some of you may have known this, but I, uh, I missed it somehow. Uh, Joshua was not the name he was given at birth. Uh, it was a name that was changed or given to him later on by Moses. Numbers 13 tells us his name originally was Hosea, which means something like salvation, and then a little later on, Moses added the letter Y to his name, the front of it, to turn it into Yeshua, which is Joshua. Now, maybe you know that in the biblical times, especially, names had meaning and power. Okay? My name, Micah, means who is like Yahweh. Right? It's a question. Or you can think of uh, names that Jesus gave to, to new names of some of his disciples, like the apostle Peter. What was his original name? Simon or Cephas, right? It was a name that, God, that Jesus gave to him, Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. Or you may remember Abram and Sarai. Their names were changed to Abraham and Sarah. And in that case, God gave them the letter H and added it to their name. And, and God's name in the ancient text was Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. 
So in this case, part of the name of God is added to Hoshua to make it be Yahshua. And maybe you also have heard Yeshua translated into Greek is the exact same as Jesus. Right? So in this moment, a whole bunch of things are kind of coming together, and it's centered on the unique person, this guy named Joshua. And you probably remember from the readings we had just a moment ago, uh, this verse. Maybe for some of you, anyone, is this your confirmation verse or a life verse for some of you? Okay, a few of you in the room. It always is. Uh, let's go ahead and read this out loud together. Even if you're at home, just go ahead and speak it out loud. No one will hear maybe, but that's okay. God will. All right. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I know this is a great verse, right, filled with power and promise, right? This command, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, be strong and courageous. And why? Because God is with you. What you may not recall is that this is actually the third time in this story that God says essentially the same thing. Right? And when God repeats himself, it's usually to just drive it home, and we all need to have some things driven home for us to be able to remember. So let's go back to the first one, uh, just a few verses before. Here's what he says. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give to them. Right? So here's how God opens it. He says, be strong and courageous, just like I was with Moses, a man who is mighty in miraculous power. God worked powerfully in him to confront uh, the Pharaoh, to lead people through the, uh, the wilderness and even through a sea when the waters were parted. God said, the same kind of things I did with him, I'm going to do with you because I'm the same God. And, and because I am with you, you don't need to be afraid of anything. So it's the first thing we learned about why it is we can be bold and courageous is because God promises to be with us. And do you remember the name uh, that uh, was prophesied over Jesus, Emmanuel? Do you remember that from Isaiah? Do you remember what that means? God with us. And do you remember what Jesus said right before he left this earth? It's recorded in Matthew 28, the very last verse in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, right? He gives us our purpose, our mission to continue his work on the, in the planet. And then he finishes by saying, and behold, I will be with you always to the very end of the age, right? The same God who promised to be present with Abram and Sarai and make them into a great nation, changing their names to Abraham and Sarah, and then Isaac and then Jacob and all the way down to Moses and now Joshua. The same God promises to be present with you. And he comes to dwell within you uh, through the Holy Spirit who enters into our hearts and minds through the power of God's word and makes his dwelling place there to constantly, Jesus promises us this, to constantly remind us of what it is that God has said and done, what he's promised, and then also to draw us closer to him so that ultimately we all can become more like Jesus. Right? So the presence and the promise of God is, is the first important part of this. Look at this second time Jesus commands, or God commands this to Joshua. Oftentimes, when God does things in groups of three, one of the reasons is the one in the middle is going to be uh, important, and that's the case here. He gives the command three different times. He's strong and courageous. The second one is the longest explanation. So look at this. He says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law uh, that, my Mos that, my, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Right, so first of all, God promises, I'm going to be with you, Joshua, just like I was with Moses. And then he says, here, here's what you can do in order to make sure that you can stay close with me and stay rooted and established in this identity I've given you as my chosen one. And, and to understand fully what it means to have my presence in your midst. And, and that is to remain rooted and established in the word of God that speaks truth into our hearts and our lives. How is it that we can have courage and boldness? How is it that we can even know what we're supposed to do with that courage and boldness? It, it all goes back to the scriptures, to our Bibles, where God says, come back here, come back here, read, learn, study, digest it, take it to heart, and the Spirit of God will work in and through that word to shape you increasingly to be more like Jesus. Right? It's super simple as a concept, but it's often hard to accomplish. Because the world's going to try to distract us left and right. Or sometimes we're going to enter into that very same scripture and we're going to get confused by what we're supposed to be reading. Maybe you found that to be true. Like you're studying the Bible and you're like, this doesn't make sense. I need help, right? And, and what the devil in your own mind is going to say is maybe I just need to put it down or maybe I need to stop. Maybe I just, um, I just can't understand it. And so there's going to be hiccups and roadblocks and discouragement all along the way. But the invitation here and, and the challenge we might say even from God is to say just stick with it. And as you approach God's word, uh, don't overcomplicate things, but just simply take a passage of scripture, read it, and pray over it. Say, God, just tell me what I need to know. Tell me what I need to hear. Uh, you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. For me, one of the ways that that works really well right now in this season is through the Bible app. Um, if you don't have the Bible app on your phone, uh, I would recommend you get it. It's a version Bible app, and I've got the, the verse of the day locked in on my home screen. I make sure I read it every day. Uh, I lost my streak, by the way, over the summer when I didn't have good cell phone connection, but I'm just telling you, it's been like nonstop for a while. Okay. Um, and what I've found is when I come to that one verse, and I do other Bible reading too, I'm reading through Genesis right now, but when I come to that one verse, I come to it with the expectation that God is going to say something into my heart and mind and my present circumstance, and it never fails, right? It's really kind of, um, it could seem weird if it wasn't good but it's good, right? And so, so God is going to speak to you through his word whenever you come to it with the expectation that it has the power that it promises and, and that, it can, that it can speak to you in the way that God wants it to, right? So let me just encourage you again and again and again, whether it's one verse or one chapter or one hour, if you've got that time in this season of your life, uh, whatever you can devote to the study and the reading of God's word will not disappoint you, but it will root you and ground you in your identity and who God says you is. It'll point you back to Jesus and all that he has accomplished for you, and then it'll send you with power and authority to do whatever it is he's calling you to do. All right, so that's part of what we learned from the story of Joshua, right? Young man uh, given an important task to lead God's people into the promised land. I want to take you now to one of those other readings, uh, to, to the story of young Timothy. And we're going to see some similarities, but maybe also a few new things that you'll be able to grab a hold of. So take a look at this. So who is this Timothy guy? 
You may not know as much about Timothy as you maybe did Joshua, but he was uh, a travel companion of the Apostle Paul, and he was born uh, in a mixed family, right? His mother was Jewish, his father was Greek. So it'd be kind of like if in your family you've got like a parent who's a Cubs fan and a parent who's a Sox fan, right? Um, or, or maybe not quite like that, but you get my point. Like two different cultures, two different worlds colliding. We don't know that much about um, his father, other than that he was Greek, but we know that his mother and then her mother, uh, Lois and Eunice, taught young Timothy the faith. And so that he was prepared and ready for when Paul showed up one day. And then Paul called and trained and equipped him to be a pastor and a leader in the local church. 1 Corinthians 16 also gives us a little glimpse into maybe some of Timothy's personality or character. Uh, some have concluded that maybe he was a little timid, either just because of his personality, didn't like to be up front, didn't like to be uh, put on the spot, or maybe it was just simply because he was young. Here's why. 1 Corinthians 16 says this, When Timothy comes, this is Paul writing, See to it that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. And so let no one despise him. And then in 1 Timothy, Paul says something similar directly to Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So Paul is saying, you might be timid, you might be a little bit unsure of yourself, but I can see something in you, Timothy, that God is working, and I want others to see that as well. So he's constantly just encouraging this young Timothy, who he's raised up, kind of like Moses did to Joshua, to kind of step into his role with courage and boldness, right? So that brings us to this passage, um, 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which was in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed about the testimony about our Lord. Right, reminding Timothy of the faith that was passed on to him from his mother and grandmother, Paul says, and, and the faith that he has taught him as well, and, and the commissioning he gave through laying on his hands. He said, I want you to go with boldness and courage to speak good news. Now, for us, what does that look like? Um, the, the mission field for us may not be packing our bags and going to a distant land. For some of you, that might be the case. And if you ever have a chance to go on a mission trip, it can be an awesome, life-changing experience, especially for you. More often, the, the front of the mission field that you are going to be sent to is actually probably your backyard or maybe your front yard. It's going to be on the street corner or across the driveway. It's going to be where you go to work or maybe where you go to school. It might be, like Sarah said, the homeless guy in the parking lot at Aldi that we've just kind of started into a relationship with. Here's what it looks like. It's, it's the people that God already has in your life who are close to you but far from him. And maybe right now while you're thinking about it, there's a few that come to mind, people that maybe never have gone to church or maybe did but they got burnt out or frustrated and so they stopped. And you're thinking, who do I have already in my life that's close to me but far from Jesus? And I imagine some of you have at least thought at one point in time, you know, this person really needs to know a little bit more about Jesus or a little bit more about God, but you felt afraid to say anything because you don't want to mess it up, right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because that might make you feel even more embarrassed, but my hunch is that that's probably true. And I say that because there are times when for me, I'm like, I don't know if I want to go there yet because I don't want to jeopardize this friendship or I don't want to come across as like the guy on the street corner with the sign or, right, or just shouting at you and I don't want to be that kind of person. But what if God is inviting you and nudging you to, to have a little more courage and, and not to come at him with a hammer or on the attack, 
but to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have. That's 1 Peter 3.15. Or, or to be ready to speak a good word of comfort and encouragement and to try to direct them to Jesus when you do. Or uh, what would it look like if you were to offer to pray for them in that very moment? And I know for some of you that seems like a terrifying thing because you don't want to mess it up and say the wrong words. But these are more likely than not the spaces and the places where God is challenging you to have a little more courage and a little more boldness to live out your identity as a follower of Jesus and to invite others to a little closer relationship with him. Paul says this, God didn't give us a spirit of fear or of doubt, um, but a spirit of courage and boldness to not be ashamed of what it is that we know to be true. Paul goes on, and we'll close with these words. He says, For I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Right? Where does his courage come from? It's this rock-solid knowledge in who Jesus is and his confidence that Jesus can do everything he's claimed to be able to do. Right? He can walk on water and invite others to do the same. He can calm a storm. He can heal. He can save. And Jesus promises the same power that you see at work in me is now present in you. And you'll do even greater things. So Paul says, why can I be assured? Why can I have courage? It's because I know who Jesus is. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I should learn a little bit more about who Jesus is so I can have that same confidence. Um, and he goes on, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until the day that which has been entrusted to me. Right? The pressure of the world around us will increase. We will find ourselves increasingly out of favor, I'm guessing, in the world, in the future. And so the position of influence the church may be had in the past, I don't think we're going to be invited back into that space anytime soon. And so our posture changes. But we don't need to worry because what's been entrusted to us, God will keep secure. We just need to hold on to his scripture and hold on to our identity and hold on to our relationship with Jesus and let his power be at work. Follow the, sound, the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me, the faith that you have instructed in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus and by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard that good deposit entrusted to you. All right, so it keeps coming back to the word of faith, the word of God that has been passed down. Hold on to that. Let it be your foundation and your source of strength. And then as you seek the presence of Jesus in the relationships you already have, be ready to speak up. Be ready to give a word of courage and a word of hope and a word of life. And God will continue to work in and through you to bring those who are close to you but far from him uh, closer to a life-saving and eternal life with him. And we hope and pray that God will give us the boldness and courage as individuals and as a whole community to do just that. Now, as we close today, um, what I'm going to ask you to do is reflect on the things you're hearing today through our readings and through the message. And we do that through what we call our here in practice questions. And in this series, we have just two that are going to be the same throughout the whole four weeks, right? Just try to keep it simple. And they're, and they're rooted in those two words, here and practice. So what I want you to think about, and if you're on your own, you can just think about this in your own mind. If you're with someone, go ahead and share that with them. What is God saying to you? What's he stirring up through what you heard? Uh, what's maybe a word, a phrase, a thought, or an idea that's standing out to you? Now, it sounds like I just asked you five questions. I'm just trying to tell you, here's how you can think about it. What is God saying to me? Okay? And the second thing is, what might he be nudging you to do next? So what's God saying to me here, and what might be he asking you to do next? Practice. Take a moment or two, think about that, talk about it with those who are with you, and then we'll continue with our worship in a few minutes.